I just have to compose myself. Remember it. Do you need some marbles? No, no, I, I can do it without the marbles, I think. Um, so yeah, for a bit I was thinking maybe <clears throat> something along the lines of, as you are aware, I don't know how to start the podcast yet. So it's either going to be a pitch perfect impression of Marlon Brando or maybe something like, welcome to Late to the Movies. My name is Ben Holt, and this is a podcast where my friends and I get to fill in our movie blind spots every week. Me and my friends will pick a movie that one of us, at least one of us, hadn't seen before and really should have by now. This week, that movie is The Godfather, and I'm here with Robbie. Hey, I wasn't sure if I should just like cut you off and be like, why are you making that weird voice and, and ruin the bit like every other one you've tried to do? Oh, I appreciate <laughs> Seeing the only times I can get a bit off without being ruined is when it's just two people <laughs> on the podcast, including myself. Um, yeah, I think a lot of our friends have some burnout from the Oscars, so I wasn't going to try and push anyone too hard. Thank you for doing this with me. Of course, it is the 50th anniversary of Godfather, and in addition to being one of the most venerable Best Picture winners that we're closing out, our Best Picture Month with. It is also perhaps the most discussed movie ever. So let's see what we can add to that conversation. Um, first off, I do I do want to uh, start with, well, we just recorded the special episode that you really should listen to, even though it's uh, a little out of date now. Critics have called it our best ec- episode yet. And That's actually not untrue. <laughs> critics, I mean our friends, but still. <laughs> it's possible they were just being nice, but... Uh, it's also they're they not nice that often. Yeah, I was gonna say, but they wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> nope. Yeah, and 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 to be fair, it's our picks for like some of the best movies of the year, so it doesn't necessarily go out of date after the Oscars happens. We hope we're recording this a few days before the Oscars broadcast. When you're listening to it, it is after. It's not going to even come out until about six hours after the Oscars ends. So any um, really bold predictions that you want to feel stupid about when this episode comes out? Mm. I'm calling Andrew Garfield for best actor. Okay. I really want it. And I feel like if I just hope hard enough, it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, I mean, he, he, he gives such a, a pure performance and you know, you can't say he doesn't necessarily deserve it. So we'll see. I'd be happy. It's I'd close. Happy Everybody was so good in those best actor dogs. So yeah. it's just really like, I don't feel like any of them are a bad call. It's just, yeah, it's one of those things where it seems like it's Will Smith's to lose and he's never won one before, so like I'm not going to I'm not going to deprive him of it. It seems like it's his moment. Well, that's the and other again, thing. That might be something we sound really stupid about 6 hours after the Oscars ends, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, and that's like when I've been seeing the predictions are all for Will Smith. It's I like was really gunning for Benedict Cumberbatch at first. And I'm like, well, if it's not going to be him, then I want the the way out of left field Andrew Garfield swoops in and takes it. Yeah, so I usually ask if you've been watching anything recently. I assume uh, you've just been catching up on Oscars. It's only been four days and change since we recorded our uh, ladies episode. But have you squeezed in any anything last minute that you would have talked about on that episode? Yeah, I've been binging like crazy. I just haven't had too much to do, and I've been on a movie kick. So I, I actually watched uh, Turning Red today, I think I, I mm-hmm. said in the Discord. So that was not Oscars, but we'll probably be talking about it next year. If I, I think that's guess. a good bet. 
but uh, that was really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Didn't really relate to the parents or the character, but don't have anything bad to say about it. It was still a really fun movie. So Now, that's weird because it seems like people who don't relate to that are somehow contractually obligated to go tell everyone on the internet. Just be furious. <laughs> I cannot understand how you could watch something like that and be like, stupid, who would like this? A lot of people would like it. And it's just so like, bizarrely non-self-aware to me growing up. We've have a hundred years of movies that have been about white dudes. Like other people can be stars of movies too. It's okay. Other people have gotten used to taking something relatable out of seeing someone who doesn't look like themselves in the starring role of a movie. It's not, it shouldn't be that much of a stretch for you. It is just doesn't make sense. And like, it's not even like the premise came out of left field. I mean, I think we've seen in enough other movies that like, Asian American kids do go through like the, or in a, a lot of other cultures as well. And a lot of not even just, you know, white people have overbearing parents. Yeah. Like that's not something that's unheard of. And like, if you don't relate to that, like, there you go. Here's your experience to see what it's like to grow up under that oppressive environment. Yeah. I don't know if oppressive is the right word, but for the kids, I'm sure it feels that way. Intense. Sure. I, I haven't watched that. Turning Red yet, but what you're saying seems to line up with what our other friends who've seen it so far have said. I've just been either watching stuff for this podcast or, um, which you guys already know about because obviously we talk about it or stuff for the Oscars. And then I did watch this week for the first time, the uh, first two evil dead movies. Oh, cause, um, blank check a podcast. I reference maybe too much. <laughs> and every time I reference it, I say it's better than this one. So I should probably stop doing that. Anyway, they just started a Sam Raimi series, so um, really, I haven't seen a ton of his movies outside of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, um, so I, obviously, the Evil Dead movies are huge, huge influences on basically all of movies after they come out, so uh, it was cool to go and watch those. Those rock. They're really freaking good. <laughs> I've heard good things. I haven't seen those either, so maybe I'll wait till uh, Halloween this year. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am thinking about maybe working the first one. And it's weird because when people talk about Evil Dead, they're really talking about Evil Dead Two because that's when it gets a little goofier and is almost a straight comedy. Okay. Um, Evil Dead One isn't as funny. It, it still has a lot of the kind of goofball energy that Sam Raimi brings, but it's more harnessed towards a horror direction than it is in a silly direction like in the second one for other oscar stuff that i didn't see before we recorded the podcast that would have been in the ladies conversation for me french dispatch i apologize for not seeing before that movie kicked ass it's a real shame that the oscars hate wes anderson mm. at least two people from that movie would have been in best supporting contention for me i think jeffrey wright would have been on my top three Best supporting actors. So, okay. Yeah. For those of you who are updating the wiki on, on the uh, ladies, it's not an official uh, entry, but he probably would have been there for me. And then, I mean, I, I just love Wes Anderson and that movie rocks. Um, and then I watched Paolo Sorrentino's the hand of God recently. And that was really good too. That's an international. And I would have talked about that more. Instead. We just did a long bit, um, pretending that it has the same plot as Luca. Um, and it does. <laughs> okay. Did not see Luca. I did watch, I forgot, Encanto and Mitchell's versus the Machines, which were also yeah. very good. Yeah. It actually, uh, Hand of God actually would pair pretty well with Luca because there is a lot of uh, guys in Speedos jumping into the water in the Mediterranean. 
Yeah. Again, that's... very confused. Have not seen Luca. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. Good stuff. Um, uh, right. I don't know necessarily where to jump into the Godfather. So let's just start with a brief plot synopsis. You want to give it a go? Sure. Uh, uh, whenever you're ready. One minute on the clock. All right. So before we get the minute going, okay. uh, just cut me off if I start blending into Godfather 2. I watched all three of them in one day, so I got a little jumbled here. All right. But uh, Godfather starts off, really interesting scene. It's the day of his daughter's wedding, and uh, people are coming to him on this that day. So uh, <laughs> they're asking him for favors. It's really setting it up an interesting dynamic to kind of paint him as like justice for people that can't get justice um, and really set up his moral code. So that was pretty interesting. Um, it goes on a little further. I really forgot what set up the next things. I guess you, you meet his son, Michael. He doesn't want any part of the business. Life goes on a little bit. Um, the Godfather ends up getting taken out. They try to do a hit, get shot five times, ends up in the hospital, kind of forces Michael into a protector role. Uh, this is where he kind of 20 seconds saves the day, gets assaulted <laughs> by a cop. Wow. There's a lot in this movie. So then, uh, the, um, Michael has to go to Italy. He's living in Italy, gets married. Wife's gets blown up, comes back to America, murders. Oh shit. He murdered the cop before he went to Italy, man. I fucked this whole thing up. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Oof. All right, we're, we're in overtime now, so just keep going. Oh, man. Okay, so he killed the cop, <laughs> you, comes back You just home. got him to Sicily. Now he's come back. <laughs> he's come back, so now he's really... Something big happens before he comes back. Wife gets blown up. Sonny gets killed. Sonny gets killed. <laughs> right. Damn. Okay, so... Who's going to take over the family? They massacred my boy. They massacred his boy, and uh, Michael's got to take over. So uh, Michael does that, and he starts to um, handle the family affairs, ends up killing his sister's husband. Yep. Um, And then his wife is asking him if he did it or not. That's really kind of a turning point for Michael, and he tells him basically, no, of course not, but don't ever ask me about my business. And I think that's pretty much where the movie ends. That is where the movie ends. An extremely famous ending. Um, we're just going to be talking about the first Godfather in this. It is the the 50th anniversary of it. We're doing that. A quick, um, you know, a fun context note. I believe this is the earliest movie we've done so far. I don't think we had done anything into the 70s yet. So that's a fun note. Um, yeah. Nothing yet. No, Shining's Alien, in the Alien, Shining's 80s. Alien was 79. Oh, yeah, that's true. So... End of the 70s, before, yeah. Before that. This is 72. Um, and uh, a note, just so you, in case it gets really weird, so so you know, we are drinking Coppola wine. Sponsored by Coppola. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we we can't be bought. So this is not a sponsorship. We're just drinking it, and I like it. Mm. It's pretty good. It tastes like wine. Yeah. I think it's a Sauvignon something. Yeah. Cab Sauv. Fresh from Italy. It, it's a cab sav, mm. cab sav. I'm not a wine guy, but this shit's good. Mm. Straight from a couple of vineyards, which I think is in Napa Valley, California. But <laughs> whatever, eh, whatever. Um, Coppola, after many many years of making movies, after this, some of the best movies of all time, some of the biggest flops of all time. Huh. Now he makes uh, now he makes wine, and he's gearing up to self finance his own movie, Megalopolis. A bunch of famous people are involved. If it doesn't do well, he'll be financially ruined. So oh, uh, look interesting. forward to that. Be drinking his own wine in an alley somewhere. Yeah, so I'm going to go see it a couple times just because I don't want <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola to be financially ruined. Um, and I guess 
the kind of weird vibe of Godfather's legacy can be summed up thusly. In a time where there are two separate, unrelated, I think, miniseries being developed, starring famous people about the making of The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola cannot get a studio to finance his next movie. Oh, man. Are, this is all happening at the same time. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, I think it is also worth noting, I guess, as like a disclaimer, this seems like it should go without saying, but I did read like there's been a couple of pieces on the 50th oh, yeah. anniversary. Oh, yeah. And... uh Everybody seems to think they're making some revolutionary point of like, well, just so you know, the mob was actually bad. So like, yes, <laughs> we do understand that even if he wasn't doing drugs, which the mob definitely was dealing drugs, that there was the dark side of gambling where they were breaking people's legs that weren't paying money. And he isn't this upstanding moral character that the movie kind of tries to get into. I think you should know that as a yeah. person. I don't think we needed an article to point that out, but yeah, you know, I think that's, that's fair. It seems weird with the nuance being lost from everything in conversations online. I guess it is for, for our own mention's sake, worth it to say, like, we don't think the mob is cool. <laughs> yes. And we're so brave for saying that. We're very brave. We actually are pretty close to Providence. So we're a little brave. <laughs> yeah. This is a, a whole different family, so it's okay. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I think it's a good movie. I think it's really interesting that what you think of the kind of cultural image of the Godfather is probably more Pacino from Godfather part two and Marlon. And, but when thinking about Marlon Brando in it, really just the first 25 minutes of the movie, mm. the part that is his daughter's wedding, the day of his wedding at his house, um, Specifically, that that really amazing opening scene that sets up his dynamic and so many other character dynamics so well. But you talked about how his moral code is laid out. Um, you know, if you come to me as a friend um, and all that fun stuff. And I will be doing that perfect Marlon Brando impression throughout. That's not Marlon Brando on the other line. That's just good old good old Benny making making good making good uh, impression stuff. So. The rest of the movie after that is basically him in decline. Yeah. And you don't really think about those parts too much, but you see how much he's lost a step. And the arch, the arch, the arc of this movie is really about Michael going from a guy who wants nothing to do with this to by the end, he is Don Corleone. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I do have a note in here like, when the police officer punched him, he broke his jaw and it was the same side of his job that was, uh, you know, Marlon Brando's stumbling thing. And oh, it, yeah. it almost felt like they were setting up like, oh, that's where the turn is. You know, he's going to come back after this police officer and that's like pulling him in. I just thought that was a really interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Cool movie. Yeah, very cool movie. I'm very happy to have finally watched it. But um, what stood out to you? What What was like different than what you were expecting? Because... We've all heard, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. You may have known about the horse head in the bed. Yeah. Um, so, so that was one leave of Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> that, I, I, like, I remember that quote. And then I remember the cannoli coming up again in uh, Godfather Part 3 because she poisons the guy with it. But um, yeah. what part was the leave the gun, take the cannoli? That's when um, they kill the guy who's been sick. When Clemenza brings him out to the, it's like wheat fields or something. Yes, 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 yes. Um, that amazing shot of the car pulling up 
from left to right across the screen, mostly wheat fields. And then you can just see the, the top of the Statue of Liberty in the distance. Oh, yeah. And they're I, shooting from the back seat. I like that part, too, because as soon as the other guy gets into the car, he's like, no, don't sit behind me. And like, you know, that's because he's aware, like he's in hot water. But um, yeah, I don't think that was going to say it, and it clearly didn't. But uh, nice try. <laughs> nice try. Yeah, that's um, I, I, that's the thing that does that do, actually does get people in trouble. Right. Is looking at it and being like, this scene was amazing. This guy got super murdered. And they, then there was like a fun quip at the end. And that's what gets people in trouble about like, you know, obviously they're not glorifying these dudes. No, definitely not. Uh, you know, that if you're listening to this, then you know that. But. Well, that's what happens in movies sometimes. That is what happens. Doing it well is what makes them a good movie. The other scene that mirrors that, not visually, but someone getting into a car and then being murdered, uh, when Carlo gets like garroted from behind, that is, I had forgotten that because who cares about Carlo? So that wasn't like on the top of my mind. Um, But that scene is so visually interesting where he's kicking out the windshield. So it immediately shatters. So it doesn't cut away. You're just in this one shot, but you're looking through the windshield. So you can't really see it. You just see his feet poking through and kicking around and stuff. So that is something that stood out to me because I was really mad that after like almost murdering his pregnant wife, it seemed like he was going to get away with it. So I was just waiting for like his comeuppance. And here's a part where you can quote me. I'm glad that death happened. (laughs) No disclaimer, cool death. He deserved it. Yeah, probably. I mean, and it's just like, he, what, what else could he really have expected? He was not not a bright bulb. <laughs> well, like to even like, I guess you kind of assumed that he had a hand in like um, Sonny's murder. Yeah. But like to have him admit it, because I don't even know if I fully went there. I just thought like he was being followed or, or something like I didn't really connect immediately that like he called them and set him up to be gunned down like that. And that was one of the most brutal gun downs in the entire like what like 10 tommy guns that was nuts they really made sure yeah but that that's also coming on the heels of the same people attempting a hit on sonny's dad on on Vito corleone and they'd not working with only five bullets so they they made they made damn sure um yeah and they weren't using pistols they were using just <laughs> Straight up Tommy guns. And it's amazing they didn't all shoot each other because they were on opposite sides of the car. They they should have at least had a little collateral damage. I also wonder what happened to the security guard that like intentionally dropped the change. Like you didn't really see him again after it. Yeah, I think he just ducked and then probably got the heck out of there. Scurried away. Yeah, maybe he was also he also ran off with them and got into one of those cars. I don't know. Mm. Oh, but you were asking about standout scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. like the the horse had one I was waiting for because that's everybody that's, knows about the, the that's horse. It's also like in the first half hour. But um the the actor's like response to it, because I think my note was like, LOL, here's the horse head. And then uh my next note was, okay, that was pretty powerful. Like he he acts the hell out of it, where you're oh, just yeah. like, Man, I can see where why that would just be absolutely bone chilling. Yeah. But um yeah, that was a really cool scene. So this is a movie that has any number of stories around it. Maybe some of them apocryphal, maybe some of them actually happened. And one of the ones that my dad relayed to me, because he has been watching some of like the 50th anniversary retrospectives and, and all that have been playing. Um, apparently Frank Sinatra thought that the Johnny Fontaine character was him. And oh, so he, he like saw Mario Puzo in a restaurant, punched him in the face. Wow. <laughs> I mean, way to tell on yourself, man. (laughs) 
like I, I wasn't thinking about it, but I think I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know if people would have made that connection unless, you, and like maybe they would have like made jokes about it. But man, I, I, there's not a better way to admit you have mob connections. I don't think. Yeah, like, how dare you? <laughs> but that that was the other scene. The I I didn't know what the offer he couldn't refuse was. I mean, I assumed it was like. I'll I'll murder you if you don't do this. But uh, yeah, it was interesting to hear that laid out. I like how the uh, the director guy quoted that, and I, I don't know. You just my other note there was like his whole reason for not wanting um, Fontaine to be a movie star is because he was like sexually assaulting this other starlet that he took away from her. And it was like, wow, just horrible reason to like not do something for the mob. What the hell is wrong with you? Right. Yeah. Like, what are we, what are you doing here, guy? Come on. This is, this is stupid. That, uh, that happens to a lot of people. And throughout the movie, people keep saying like, oh, we know that he's slipping. We know that he doesn't have as much power as he used to. He doesn't quite have the, the touch with the politicians like he used to. And, um, that's just a, it's, that's sort of towards the beginning, but already kind of starting that process. And he's probably wrong at that point, maybe, but by the end, that is, that's what happens. Uh, the other five families feel that way about it. And, um, then they get into the drug business. Yeah. And then they just, uh, you know, they all end up sleeping with the fishes like Luca Brazzi. Definitely a ton of racism in the movie, but like very accurate (laughs) for the time. Right. But it was just interesting to hear them say like, and no, we're going to make sure that the drugs are only sold, sold to the black families. Like those, it's just like, they they didn't use that word, but yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, because not only was it, you know, made in the seventies, but it's been set in the fifties. Right. So yeah. Oh, is it set in the... Fi- okay. That's why they all have nice cars. Yeah. They all have the same... I know every car was the same. I was like, yeah, there yep. were not very <laughs> many cars back then. Tailing somebody must have been a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. For real, yeah. You just have to have a different... Hopefully a unique color. Yeah, man. Good movie. Let's talk a little bit about the performances because what stood out to me this time, honestly, and I should say, so this is new to you, but I hadn't watched this in a really long time. And uh, I only watched the first one because I didn't want to be colored by the other couple movies. Um, I couldn't help myself. Yeah. No, I I, I totally get that. I'm, I'm probably going to watch them now that we've done this podcast. Mm. But I just didn't want those thoughts to sort of like, you know, come in and, and confuse me. Maybe I should give myself more credit, but, you know, whatever. Um, point being, this time, obviously, I know what Pacino does in this movie to subtly show his transition from normal, like a, a civilian to use their parlance. Um, like his posture changes. It almost feels like he's taller by the end of the movie. Well, just not a civilian too, like a war hero, yeah, like war a hero. decorated war hero to a straight up criminal. Yeah. Pacino's amazing. Brando's amazing in it. Um, James Kahn is really good. That's the thing my dad mentioned is that, which one is um, Sonny okay. is that he, you don't necessarily think of James Caan as that kind of guy, but he's perfect in the movie. But really, what stood out, um, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall, yes, what, he was fantastic. Yeah, that's what really stood out to me this time is how good Robert Duvall is. He's he's Tom Hagen. He's the uh, the Irish German guy who was an orphan that is like an adopted son of the Corleone family. And uh, Duvall is amazing in this movie. He's really good. He plays that role so well as like, a, I really want to be a part of this family, but I'm still like outside of it. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's very well portrayed. Yeah. And he 
obviously you can see his value to the family. He has a really, really good head on his shoulders. I don't know how to say it, but he's very even tempered and extremely analytical. And you can see why they need a guy like that. That's not actually a blood member of the family to have a little more perspective. Yeah. And like even the scene where uh, Michael is coming up with the idea to um, kill the police captain, like he was against it at first, but you could tell he's the type of person when he's presented with new information, like, Oh yeah, we could, we could get some articles out about that. It's like, okay, I'm going to change, you know, and like not just walked on one path. He's very willing to like, just do what the most logical thing is at the time. I think the way he plays so many different scenes, obviously, when he's being told that he's no longer consigliere and uh, he, the, the kind of way that he plays the hurt that he feels about it without actually betraying, you know, too much emotion because you can't really show emotion in the family. Like me, me as a viewer, like got the impression that he would almost be potentially like able to be turned against the family. Like I was almost expecting a betrayal, mm. but um, they do a really good job of just like, kind of hardening his resolve or just like showing that like, no, he's heard about this, but like not in a way that's going to make me turn just in a way that hurt my feelings. Yeah. Um, some other, you know, very famous members of the cast. You got Diane Keaton is K mm. in there. This is our second Keaton. Um, I think our first Pacino, our first Brando. So the Pacino thing, <laughs> I've only ever experienced him as like an old man Pacino it was very interesting yeah. to see like young Pacino. He's he's a little more into shtick now. Mm. Um, not all the time, but I think basically, probably like since the '90s, you've kind of he's kind of been in not too far from the scent of a woman kind of shtick that he is. Is whatever. he in analyze this or is that that's De Niro? That's De Niro. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I I'm not even thinking about De Niro because I didn't watch Godfather Part Two yet. See, I'm also just picturing him as an old guy. I didn't even right, connect yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. What, what's insane is Pacino and James Conner about our age in Godfather 1. They're, I think, like 32. Oh, wow. And, you know, it's just impossible to see either of those guys and not imagine them as 70 and 80-year-olds. Exactly. Well, because by the time I was even born, I mean, that was 72. They would have been in their 50s. Yeah. One thing that I do want to circle back to that you mentioned before, like I said, maybe the most famous ending in movie history that isn't like a twist or anything, but it is such a final note to end Michael's arc on mm. where you up until the point where he lies to Kay about whether or not he had Carlo killed, you've been with the Corleone family and their perspective and especially with Michael the whole time. And you're like, yeah, but he's going to do things differently. He's yeah. going to be, he's going to be his own man. Like he says, the way of the, his father's way of doing business is, is dead. He's going to be a more straight up guy. He's, he's been telling Kay, like within five years, the family can be completely legitimate. Yep. And you just realize at that point, like, oh no, he's, he's made his decision. He's, you know, which is, he's going down like- these, whatever the, the devil's whatever stuff that he renounces during the baptism scene. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, so in the baptism scene, I really liked because yeah, we uh, should talk about that too, but, I, but on the ending, yeah, I definitely had a, a note of um, two simultaneous baptisms going on at the same time. Right. Cause that was the child's baptism as like a going into the church while he was having his baptism and blood going into the family. 
Becoming the Godfather in The Godfather. Which I thought was really cool. But like even after that, you almost kind of think like, well, was he just getting rid of the old guard so now he can do things differently? And that's just like the door right. closes. Right. Like, is that is that him like, I don't want to be involved in the drug business. So let me just take everyone out yeah. and like clean slate. And he really mm. could have at that point. And I think mm-hmm. he just, he specifically chose not to. It's power. It's power. <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's power. But I think there's something to be said because I tr- I did spend a little bit of time trying to figure out like, what the hell was the point of that really long uh, in Italy bit, right? Because it, it doesn't really do very much except for, I think, kill the last bit of good in him. You know, like he he has a life, he has this wife, and then his his buddy blows her up. And they don't even make it a point to show what happened to the guy. Like for Fabrizio. all we know, Fabrizio just ran off and is completely fine in Italy. Like... Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking he had ways to get to Fabrizio, but he probably was just like, fuck it, I'm leaving. Um, Yeah, I think people have been asking for 50 years, like, why were we in Sicily with Michael for so long? Um, And I don't know. Brans Ford Coppola wanted some Sicily scenes in there. And the only thing or I could, Apollonia, there was, there was two things I could think of. One was that like, that was like, you know, him kind of like really becoming a hardened criminal. And then I think they also wanted to try to give you a feel for what these people fleed from and like how rough Sicily was to try to contribute to like, again, a little bit of the apologist mentality of like why these people are the way they mm. are in America. But, um, I don't know if they even did a great job of doing that because you didn't really get much from it. There wasn't a lot of plot development happening. It was a lot of walking around Sicily. Yeah, I, I think it's like you said, when we see him in America next, he's already in like the long coat with the bowler hat on. And you're like, okay, so that's that's the part of him dying that is going to stop him from becoming his father, basically. Right, like that was the last. <laughs> and it was because, yeah, I guess like, I mean, two years pass from him, from Apollonia getting blown up. And that's when he was supposed to be going back to America. And then the scene where he meets Kay. So there was two other years of events. Yeah. In and New he York. says he's already been back for a year. There we so, go. Right. Yeah. So you, there's been at least a couple years that he was gone. Um, and yeah, so all these things are happening. And the way Pacino plays it, his, his posture changes a lot throughout the movie. Mm. Um, and obviously his tone and, his whole personality, really. It's He's got the car following him. Like, you wouldn't really ever expect him to, like, yeah. almost treat Kay that way, where it was just, she didn't really have an option but to go with him. Like, she she did, but, like, the way he presented it was just, like, get in the car, we'll talk yeah. about this. And she didn't have a chance to talk about it. As soon as she got in the car, her fate was sealed, too. Like, yeah, it's, you know, and it's a, it's a very different character, than the last one we talked about with Diane Keaton. Um, because Kay is just, I guess, has been waiting while Michael was getting married and stuff. And it's been at least a, probably a couple years, right? Yeah, very weird. Weird that that never came up. I mean, yeah, really weird. <laughs> like, I guess we don't know how long they were together. Uh, presumably a while before yeah. he went to Italy. But it's still like four, it. four-ish years, I think we're looking at as a timeline. Three to four years at least. Though she is getting introduced to all his family members at the wedding, so that yeah. seems... Though you can totally understand that they could have been together a while and he hadn't brought her to meet the family yet if he doesn't want to be involved. Mm. 
Yeah. That. So it's not necessarily meaning that it's a new relationship, but yeah, either way, just because like the nature of a wedding, like I feel like you would just bring a random person sometimes because yeah. you want to have a, a date to a wedding. But, um, she clearly had a lot of curiosity about his family. So I think we can assume they were together for a while before that. I don't know if it's just because it's Diane Keaton, but you just assume that that's a very smart person mm. and you wonder like, you know, it's not the kind of woman you imagine being just like, I mean, at the very least college educated because she was a kindergarten teacher. Right. Yeah. It's not the kind of person you imagine is going to be content just being in the dark about all this stuff and being and having to pretend that all this crap isn't happening. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, I wish we could, I'm going to save it. But we, <laughs> I want to talk about some of the parts from part two, but well, like, yeah. <laughs> I know, um, but such an interesting character. I feel like she doesn't get a lot of justice in the first one, but really. No, I mean, she's part. kind of a minor character, but they're, they're married and staying together at the end. So that makes her a pretty big character going forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. We should talk about the baptism scene a little bit more because that is such a, I mean, it just kind of takes your breath away. That sequence with, with the music, with the questions that the priest is asking Michael intercut with all these things that he's doing, you know, do you renounce the devil's work and all of his uh, temptations and stuff? Well, mm. it's cutting to all these people that Michael has sent to be, um, to sent to kill his rivals basically and to completely mop up. Yeah, definitely very uh, interesting. And I mean, even the line of questioning, because like, I don't know, doing the devil's work is very nonspecific. So from Michael's perspective, he definitely has an argument for like, well, no, I'm not doing the devil's work. I'm killing bad people. Like, is that God's work? No, but it's <laughs> it's not necessarily... I think God had a rule about murder, but I could be wrong. <laughs> well, unless they were like big dicks. I think that was the, the commandment. Thou <laughs> should not kill, but like, you know, sometimes. Well, and it kind of brings me, I didn't, we didn't talk about this, but um, he was saying uh, they, when him and Kay first got back together, she, he was, she's like, Michael, you're being so naive. Like you're sending people to be murdered or whatever, not like a, a politician or, or something like that. And yeah. he was like, now who's, be well, I think I said now who's being naive because like, yeah, a I think she does too, because I mean, it's like a politician in a president, they absolutely send people to be murdered all the time. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, especially during that time, the CIA was doing very similar things to probably less bad people, arguably. Oh yeah. Well, uh, union leaders down in South America. Sure. But, uh, I don't know. So it's just, a, it's an interesting question of like, well, what is the devil's work? I don't know. I'm sure the, the church would have some very specific answers of like, this was the devil's work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's probably a fair way to put it. So the issue with this movie, like we said off the top is kind of just, it is maybe the most discussed and written about and dissected movie perhaps ever. So I'm more curious about your experiences with it for the first time. I think another quote that um, comes from this movie that might not always get attributed to it is the uh, sleeping with the fishes when um, they send the, the it two Luca Brasi sleeping with the fishes. But, yeah. And I think that's just so offhandedly right. Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes, sleeps with, yeah. but it's so casually mentioned all the time. And I don't think people connect it with the yeah. Godfather. It just seems like an Italian thing, but I guess this was, the first time that was there's so much stuff like that that 
when you're watching movies of a time that are iconic or whatever, this is an experience I think I've mentioned before that I had with the film Double Indemnity when I watched it in college for um, a class that I'm not really sure if it made me a better rounded person, but I at least watched Double Indemnity during it. It has so many noir cliches in it that you're like your your brain wants to tell you that it's lazy writing, mm. and then you want and then you have to remind yourself, no, no one had ever done this before. <laughs> That's from this movie. <laughs> this started it. The other ones were lazy writing. Yeah, I remember like like any time a cartoon is parodying or uh, noir film or making like a joke, it's usually from Double Indemnity. So I'd grown up seeing like Bugs Bunny do riffs on this before actually seeing the thing. And then when I see the thing, it's like, oh, well, this is just hack. And it's like, no, it's not. This is original at the time. <laughs> no, what I'll say was lazy writing and maybe I missed something. But like when Luca got killed, one hand was stabbed into the desk. What was going on with his other hand? Like he had was he trying to hand. I mean, he was being like garroted. But that's he. the other hand was nowhere in the shot because I was like, I mean, he's a, he's a fat guy. Maybe his hand can't get to his neck. All right, all right. I could see that. I just uh, I don't think that's the case, but I just didn't want him to die. I don't know why. I just was very sad about Lucas. He just seemed like reason. a big lug. He seemed like a loyal guy, and yeah, he was really just sent into the lion's den without anything to defend himself with. Well, and I I don't think um I don't think anybody thought they were going to take Luca out. I mean, that was definitely even the the plot point afterwards. He was like, I mean, I can call off my guys, but you can't, I can't say anything about Luca Brazi. Like he's gonna like, well, Luca's already dead <laughs> to your double indemnity thing. Uh, when he goes to the restaurant, when he's about to kill the, uh, mob leader and the police yeah, sergeant at, at Louis, uh, at Louis, th- when he sits down, the other guy tells him to try the veal. And I just, I have a note, uh, oh, office reference, because <laughs> that's when they're doing their whole mob bit, he tells them to try the, just, just funny yeah. how that stuff yeah. comes up. Yeah, it's, it is the kind of movie where even offhand lines are iconic. Yeah. I, a word that I do contractually have to use in every episode of this <laughs> podcast. Just so much in this movie that is so well textured that even with the baggage of decades of everyone quoting it badly it still is effective oh yeah no you know it was just a very it felt fresh i mean it it yeah you still felt unique in your mind's eye he he says he's gonna make he made someone an offer he can't refuse and then there's like a big applause break where he's like oh he said the line it's like no it's just a line in the movie the scene keeps going yeah it's michael says it later you're like oh he's becoming his dad it's exactly (laughs) what you would expect it to be right like i I was gonna kill you or you signed the contract there's nothing really that groundbreaking about that scene anyway one thing i do always forget is when he's talking to uh i think it was bonacera the um mortician at the beginning who's asking for the favor when he tells him at the end of that scene, you know, the, the, the day may come, you know, one day and that day may never come. I'm going to call upon you for a favor. That line is obviously used a lot in any kind of, you know, parody of it. I always forget that the favor ends up being he just wants him to do his normal job, but he just, you know, wants him to do a really good job. Well, <laughs> he just wants him to try a little harder at the thing he would already do anyway. But I think on the flip side of that, um, and I'm glad you brought that up, is the um, the baker asked to get one of his employees citizenship in the beginning and he ends up having to stand out in front of the hospital and pretend to be armed potentially setting himself up to get gunned down so like wide range of requests to what the favor ended up being and i mean he performed it well 
uh, didn't actually have to do anything illegal, but like severity of consequences there, very different. I thought that was a really cool scene. It really showed Michael's uh, yeah intelligence of just like pretend like you have a gun and that will be enough. So one of the things that is the legacy of this movie um, is that it may very well be the best movie ever made. This and especially the sequel, Godfather Part Two, may very well be the best movies ever made. So where where do you stand on that? It's it's all fresh for you. So coming in with that kind of baggage must be interesting. So. I want to say the second one, but I almost wish (laughs) there had been like, like I loved the prequel stuff, but I kind of wish that had been its own movie. And I wish we had seen more of the Michael stuff. I think that's a fairly popular opinion. Oh, is it really? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It just, um, it was good and it had me interested, but I feel like they divided my attention too much and both of them could have stood on their own very well and there wasn't really a need to cram them together into one movie yeah i think that's i think that's totally fair but you i mean you do get de niro and as much as i love de niro i don't think this is i don't think the sequel not this is necessarily his the best that he's been but um yeah it's not like he's bad in it it's just that that section you really do want to be with Michael at that point, I think. I, I think on the flip side, like if they had just made the third one like immediately afterwards and not done that whole weird thing and just not 16 years later yeah. stories, you would have had much better because I think what happened is the second one finished and you just wanted more out of both of those characters mm. and you just didn't get it. But yeah, I don't know. But I, I totally hear what you're saying for sure. But I, I do think I would rank the second one higher. I think, um, like you were saying, there wasn't enough Brando in the first one. I think that could have made the first one better, honestly. But it is really Michael's story, so that's really mm-hmm. tough to do. All of the iconography about the first one especially is Brando. But all of that really is from the first 25 minutes. Yeah, he's and pretty much the, out of commission after that. The gif of him saying, you know, look how they massacred my boy which you see anytime there's a thing online all the time. <laughs> but all aside from time. that, um, I should also mention John Cazale. He is in this movie and I think four other movies and they all win best picture. And then he dies at age 42. Who was he in it? Fredo. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a note um, towards the end that said Fredo's totally going to be a traitor and then that didn't come to <laughs> fruition until the second one. <laughs> but they set that one up pretty well. Yeah, you can just tell he's, you know, he's going to be unhappy with how this is going. He's the older brother and he's just, it's not even that he gets passed over. It's just he's not even a factor. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Whose fault is that really, Fredo? Like you you kind of developed a weird personality in the midst of all this. I don't really know how that happened. Yeah. Like if anybody should have been getting out, you'd think it would have been Fredo. Yeah. So just to correct myself, Kazale's in this movie, four other movies. He's in five total over seven years. They all get nominated for Best Picture, but only the two Godfathers and uh, the Deer Hunter win. He's also in The Conversation and Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, I didn't realize both Godfathers won. That makes yeah. sense, though. Yeah, I feel like we you know, should do this one first anyway. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's just a legend. He died on March... 13th 1978 so just recently there was some retrospectives because obviously it was the anniversary he dies at 42 i know it's way too way too soon way too soon oh man so 
Should we talk about this in the Oscars a little bit, or is there anything about the movie you want to hit? No, I think just going back to the last scene, the um, his sister saying, that's your husband, that's your husband over and over again. Yeah. That was really powerful. Yeah. I'm surprised she let that slide. Like, I feel like that was enough of like, uh, like this is his little sister. Like, you should probably. Yep. But. And that's Talia Shire we haven't mentioned yet. We should. <laughs> just in, in all fairness and respect. Yeah, she did a good job as well. She wasn't in it too much, but um, great job. I believe it, it gets 11 Oscar nominations at the 45th Academy Awards. Oh, wow. It wins Best Picture or else we wouldn't be doing it. Um, that year, it beats Cabaret and Deliverance, also The Emigrants and Sounder, but Cabaret and Deliverance are really the ones that stick around to today. Um, Bob Fosse wins Best Director for Cabaret over Francis Ford Coppola, which is tough, but I mean, come on. Cabaret's great. Never even heard yeah. of it. It's Liza Minnelli's big part. There's still um, revivals every now and then. It's cool. It's worth checking out. I mean, Liza Minnelli's awesome in it. It's a Fosse joint. I love Fosse. We'll mm. talk about Fosse someday. I don't know when. When we do musicals, we, we might do a Fosse. Um, the other one you mentioned was Deliverance, which I haven't seen, but I've heard referenced a million times. Just the dueling banjos, even. You know you know it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Marlon Brando wins Best Actor, and this okay. is, of course, when famously Marlon Brando does not attend. He technically refuses the award and instead sends up a Native American woman to deliver a long speech on his behalf. She doesn't read from that speech, though. She basically just says that He's not accepting it because of the way that um, Native Americans are treated in Hollywood and on TV. And um, it causes a big uproar. People boo her while she's on stage. <laughs> Apparently, John Wayne has to be restrained backstage from like running on stage and dragging her off or something. And then Which is just Clint like, Eastwood says some shitty stuff about it when he's presenting best picture later in the night. And, you know, the John Wayne thing is interesting, too, because if I'm remembering correctly, it's famous that he like didn't even use Native Americans in his movies. It was like just other people pretending to be Native American. Yeah, it's it's weird. If you've ever seen The Searchers, I don't know that there's a ton of... <laughs> there's not too much distance between him and his character in that movie who just so, so much hates Native Americans. Oh, jeez. Um, Michael Caine said later that Brando should have come and done it himself and not subjected that that poor... Uh, woman to all the booing, which is perhaps perhaps true, but maybe not engaging with the sentiment. Yeah, when you were first uh, when you were first telling me Michael Caine said something, my my gut reaction was like, "Oh no, not Michael Caine too!" And then it's like, "Oh okay, all right, he's got a good take. That's fine." <laughs> yeah, and uh, her name was Sachin Littlefeather. I'd love to hear her perspective on the whole thing. What else happens? Liza Minnelli does win for. Best Actress, just because we talked a little cabaret, might as well mention it. Uh, James Caan and Robert Duvall and Al Pacino were all nominated for Supporting Actor, and uh, they all lose. Oh, geez. (laughs) To Joel Grey, who's the MC in Cabaret. Now, does Pacino win Best Actor for Godfather 2? Pacino, I think, famously does not, and um, he wins Incent of a Woman for Best Actor eventually. Hmm. So he's been nominated for nine Academy Awards. He wins for Scent of a Woman. And that's it. That's in 1993. So he doesn't win for another 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, The 93 ceremony. So it is literally 20 years from 
1972 Godfather, but the ceremony in 1973. So hmm. he's also nominated for best supporting actor at the same ceremony that he eventually wins for best actor <laughs> for his role in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, and then after 93, he doesn't get nominated again until his supporting actor nod in The Irishman in 2020. Oh, wow. And uh, Irishman was really good. He's great in it. Yeah, for some reason, I thought the this is look how they massacred my boy was from The Irishman. I don't know if people made a lot of memes like <laughs> about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, people get people do get killed in that movie. But okay. I don't know if anybody says it, but I think they like if James Caan was in it and died. Maybe you'd do that. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, James Conn, unfortunately, has uh, is a self-described ultra conservative that only watches Fox News these days. Oof. That's too bad. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo win Best Adapted Screenplay, which at the time was called Best Screenplay Based on Material from Another Medium. I'm glad they shortened that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was a book first? Yeah. Puzo wrote the novel. Okay. Yeah. It loses Best Costume Design. To mm. Travels with My Aunt. It loses Best Sound to Cabaret. Musicals usually win Best Sound, which uh, will sound very prescient if West Side Story won Best Sound last night as you're hearing this. It's not favored to, but if it does, then you heard it here last. That's uh, Musicals usually have a leg up in Best Sound. Yeah, I've been seeing Dune for that, but I don't know if I thought Dune had the best sound. I thought it was good, but I don't know. Oh, they had the best sound. Okay. They had to invent how big worms sound <laughs> and the thumpers, how those sounded. Yeah. Um, Cabaret cleans up in most of the technical categories. It wins art direction and cinematography. So I guess those are the two big ones from this year. Um, and film editing Cabaret wins over the Godfather. Mm. So yet another year that best editing and best picture don't necessarily match up, even though that's usually what people assume. Well, I'm glad we decided editing doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, punt that to earlier. Code is not even nominated for editing. And as of today, it's Friday, by the way. I hate to break the illusion, but we're recording this on the Friday before the Academy Awards. It seems like Coda is going to win Best Picture, even though it only has three nominations and mm. none, not in editing. Yeah, we'll see. see. That pans out. That'll be a big surprise. I just, did it be the first remake since The Departed to win? Um so, oh, Coda's a remake. Yep, of a French movie that says just the same things happen. Interesting. Just in French. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was really good. I'm not gonna hate on it for winning Best Picture, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe this is a mood point by this time. Yeah. By f if you're listening to this right at 5 a.m. on Monday morning, like a real, like a true late to the movies freak. And thank you if you are. Just in case you do some last minute editing, I knew Bet Coda was going to win. <laughs> Get so, both of both of the takes yeah. in there. <laughs> so we've normally been saying like, did this deserve to win? And I mean, come on, it's the Godfather. Of course it did. Oh yeah. Cabaret is really good, but yeah, this deserved to win. No, I, I couldn't. I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of very good movies this year, but this was definitely up there with, uh, with some of the top of them. Although the, Best picture noms this year. I don't even know where I would put Godfather in that ranking. Like it would probably be fairly low if I'm being honest. Wow. Maybe in the middle. Maybe wow. in the middle. I know they were really good this year. That is a bold comment. I, I appreciate the boldness. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the Godfather would be at the top for me, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe four. 
Maybe four. Maybe four. Yeah, we can give it. <laughs> well, like, we can give it a honorable mention. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anything is taking uh, is taking Drive My Car's place. Like that was okay. I know. I know you love Drive My Car, so you have Drive My Car, Power the Dog, and what else in front of it? Dune. Dune has big worms. Godfather does not. They got old cars. Neither has computers. So I'll, that's good. I'll give it a tie with Dune. Tied with Dune. Okay. That's, I think that's the, yeah. Uh, one of the best endings of all time versus a movie that just kind of shrugs and you go home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just saying, I love Dune. Like, I, I love Dune enjoyed too. the I, hell out of Dune. I hope it gets a Mad Maxian amount of um, technical wins last night. It's a weird, weird chronology that we're recording this before, but whatever. We are. No one's <laughs> gonna get so much hate mail over my Godfather comments. I don't. Th- I I appreciate you living in your truth. If we just came in here and it was just a hagiography the whole time, that would be boring. Mm. It's fair. So we, uh, the official stance of the podcast, Godfather sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's what I'm going to caption it as. We'll it's, get a ton of listens just for that. It's about as good as Nightmare Alley. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what we're saying. That is not a fair, a fair assessment. I mean, somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, no, Nightmare Alley actually ended pretty low for me. <laughs> I think Nightmare Alley is like eight. Yeah. All right. All right. It was good, but. Ugh. So many good movies this year. Thus concludes Oscar month. I don't think we're going to have the energy to do like a special episode on whatever wins best picture. Maybe in the future. We'll see if there's a big upset. We might have a lot to say. Maybe we just wait till next year and that'll be one of the like locked in Oscar month entrance. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so for Oscar month, we did in order Parasite. The Departed, Titanic, and The Godfather. Mm. As we're getting further from it, I'm kind of like, I'm glad we did The Departed, but it does not stand up next to the. I was just going to say, ask me where I'd put The Departed in this year's Bex Pictures. You're not going to like that answer. Oh, come on. I love The Departed. I'd probably put it at nine. That's that's bizarre to me, but whatever. Again, I'm glad you're standing in your truth. Um even Sydney's leaving. <laughs> She's turning so she doesn't have to look at you. <laughs> um, it's fair. I get it. I'm glad we did the part. I thought it was a fun episode. We got Pat in there. Yep. But it, it really doesn't stand up next to the other three that we did. I don't mm, think. No. I think it ties with Nightmare Alley. That's insane. Yeah. That's that's just crazy. In talk. this year's rankings. I mean, it was much better than Nightmare Alley. But like, yeah. That's just crazy, dog. Sorry. It was born for it. <laughs> I was born for it, mister. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you, Robbie, for uh, being here on the day of my daughter's wedding. And um, you can reach us on Gmail, on Gmail, at late to the movies at gmail.com. That's two, the number, not two spelled out. Same deal with the Instagram account. Late to the movies underscore pod. Um, come look at our fun posters and pictures and all that, all that jazz. Ha ha. Sorry. That was a Bob Fosse reference. We all got it. Um, you've all bought the shirt with Greg's face on it by now, but just in case you need another one that is on the T public store, you can just search us there. Uh, feel free to rate and review us on Apple podcasts on Spotify, 
elsewhere. Leave a review. Take the cannoli. Yeah. Leave a review and take the cannoli. That's right. We will bribe you with cannoli. <laughs> Just uh, send an email to that email address and Noah will get you cannoli. Yep. Asterisk might not happen. We'll see, though. You don't know until you leave a review. You don't know until you try. You, there's no way of knowing until you try. Uh, any fun, like, finality kind of quote to end on? Brandosaur just collapses in the garden. We're collapsing in the garden. Tomatoes. <laughs> thanks. For, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Later. Oh, man.